Welcome to the Harlem Art Space podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Litherland. Harlem Art Space is an exhibition, event, and studio space based in the historic, Arkwright built Harlem Mill in Worksworth, Derbyshire, England. These podcasts are a means to present our in conversation public events to a wider audience. These podcasts are supported by the Arts Council England and the Contemporary Visual Arts Network for the East Midlands. For more information about Harlem Art Space, please visit www.harlemartspace.co.uk. This week's Harlem Art Space podcast is a conversation with artist Chantal Powell. Chantal creates sculptural works about the unseen aspects of our psyche. She has a PhD in social psychology and a real interest in Jungian theory um, that inform her practice. She's curious about how we are influenced by our personal and collective unconscious. She embraces metaphors, myth, and symbolic language in her making. She works intuitively and intellectually in order to identify, identify archetypes and discern key associations from her objects. Chantal have recently um, installed a solo exhibition at Harlem Art Space called Green Seed from Dark Earth, just before the, um, the closure and lockdown um, due to the coronavirus pandemic. The music on this podcast um, is by Melanie Pegg. That's P-E-G-G-E. Melanie has a new album out called Underworld Floods, uh, which you can find on Bandcamp. Her songs are spacious, ghostly, um, performed with a meandering uh, classical guitar accompanied by subtle and mystical improvisations of a dry salter, which is Chris Thornhill, who's, um, who's worked and collaborated with us before. Melanie's music has an arcane, timeless quality to it, evoking early British folk and more contemporary sort of alt-folk singer-songwriters like Joanna Newsom. The archetypes it deals with in the songs and the structures, I think, reflect the tone and mood of Chantal's work, and I hope it's an apt accompaniment to the conversation. This first track is Two Shadows. After it's finished, we'll have the conversation with Chantal Powell.
It was lovely to, you know, to be around to help you install the work and get to know you a little bit and to just, yeah, see the work in the flesh. There seems to be some really very specific material choices that allude to uh, things like alchemy and very kind of primitive materials and processes. So things like clay, um, wood, molten, molten metal, stone, um, they all have very particular qualities, but what's some of the kind of background or rationale for why you've chosen to work with particular materials? Um, well, I could tell you a little bit about um, Jungian theory, which influences my work first, if you like. Yes, that'd be great, actually. That was one of my other questions, but yeah, definitely. I guess it, because it probably leads into the alchemy thing. Sure. It's, it's a secondary focus. Um, so my background is in psychology. Um, I did a a PhD in social psychology in my 20s um, but the interest in Jungian depth psychology is, is quite recent it was um, about four years ago I got extremely unwell and found myself bedbound and questioning my value as a as a person when I couldn't do all the things that I was used to doing and that I would identify myself with um, you know, being a mother being friend working as an artist and um, I didn't know if I'd be able to do those things again and so I was thinking about value and 
somebody gave me a book when I was well enough to read again, um, Women Who Run With Wolves. It's quite a well-known one that I know a lot of people have connected with. And it was the first thing I think I read that, that opened the door to thinking about the unconscious, thinking about us as something more than the things that we do. And from there, I started reading more about depth psychology and got introduced to Carl Jung's work. And it was something that impacted me very deeply on a, a personal level. And a year and a half later, when I was, was well enough to make work again, it, it naturally fed, fed into that. And it affected, I think, both the materials that I used that you mentioned, um, which, which are quite alchemical. Um, it affected the processes, the way I work. I think my work became much more instinct-led rather than design-led, which it had been. And although I still love to study and research when it comes to moments of making, I've been learning to let intuition lead over my head um, and being more open to responding to letting the materials and processes direct the work and to try and lean into this unconscious um and yeah and the kind of narratives that have come out from that i think are, are more about transformation um about this journey of individuation that young talks about um yeah so um no, that's fast. I mean, I yeah. I mean, the, the this kind of the instinctive led and the unconscious are things that um, that's very kind of you can really see that in your work. And there's a there's a playfulness as well with some of the material kind of transformations that often uh, take a while to discover what that transformation is in individual works. I'm thinking of, um, and you probably know the title of it. The, the work with um, with a little bronze. Uh, twig that's been kind of cast and and reattached onto the the bit of wood mm, yeah um and there's you know the the more time you spend with the work the 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 meaning and the material meaning kind of unravels a little bit and some of these things are very very subtle and quite hidden in in some respects and it was interesting that the more time i would spend with the work i would notice um, I would notice these things kind of happening and opening up. How 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 important is that kind of? Uh, I so I suppose the slow dissemination of this of this kind of tacit knowledge. How important is that for you? And how I suppose are how implicit are you in them when you're making the work of that? Sorry, do you mean how? The, the choice of materials you mean yeah and the choice of materials but also the the choice of materials and also how those materials will be um will be read or will be encountered by uh, an audience i suppose okay um i think when i'm making i very much making for myself at that moment in time so I'm responding from my unconscious um so we have for for those who aren't familiar with the terms that there's the personal 
personal unconscious and the collective unconscious. So the unconscious is anything below our field of awareness, our conscious life. And things that are in my personal unconscious would be things that I've either um, repressed or dismissed as irrelevant. And when I'm working and I'm choosing materials um, and working through thoughts or experiences, there's a connection with that personal unconscious so that, that will come out naturally in what I'm making. But we also have this collective unconscious, uh, which was a, a, a term that was unique to Jung, and it was he'd noticed that people, his patients had shared symbols and motifs coming up in their, uh, in their dreams and in their imaginative work that were shared even across um, countries and time and seen in other myths. And so from that, he, he hypothesized that there were these um, instinctual and universal thought patterns that we've developed over hundreds of years. Uh, these thought energies he called um, archetypes. Mm -hmm. And these archetypes generate motifs and images, and they're shared and recognized by us all. So when I'm working from, although I'm making for myself and working through things quite often, there's going to be these shared symbols and motifs, like the gold twig you mentioned, that come out that because we have this collective shared unconscious will hopefully resonate with people um, as well on, on their personal level. So I think... I don't directly think about the audience when I'm making it, but I'm aware that, that the motifs and the symbols that I'm using are, are not just mine. They're, mm. they're a shared, shared thing. Um, and the same with the, the choice of materials. I'm, I'm drawn towards these quite alchemical, elemental materials. Um, but I think they're things that we, we, again, we all connect with. So when I'm making the, I've been, working with clay and then firing it in a bin outdoors and you've got the earth and the water elements in the clay and then when I take it outside you and fire it in this this bin rather than a kiln it's the element the added elements of air and fire that get to finally transform the piece and and influence it and you've got you know it it blackens, it cracks, it breaks sometimes, and that's that's all part of all part of the work. And there are there are references that people can read into that too about you know the imperfection of life or things that they're experiencing. Um, you know, and I learned through that process, I think, in a way that I never did when I was designing more. Mm -hmm. So as I have to trust trust the elements to, to, to add into the work. I'm learning to let go of control. I'm learning patience and humility, um, much like the alchemists were affected by their work and, and transformed by it. Yeah, and there's this, I, I see it in your work as well, and in, in kind of in relation to alchemy, it's not just about um, using materials that are kind of this kind of... Uh, Pre, like we call it materia prima don't they in alchemy these kind of base base kind of yeah, yeah. elements it's more also that the speculative nature of experimenting with these elements and the kind of slightly haphazard kind of chaotic 
approach that sort of those early alchemists had where you know they might end up just blowing their lab and themselves up because <laughs> they were just combining things that you know mm. with with the kind of a, a chemistry hindsight you'd be like no don't do that but there is that um that approach uh, we I always I always think alchemy is as kind of uh, um, kind of also a metaphor for experimentation Right. Yeah. Experimentation with 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 obviously with with a material experimentation, and that's there. And you're saying that you know sometimes the uh, the clay pieces that they just they, you know they don't work out because you don't have a a kiln that you know is going to reach whatever 900 degrees Celsius to biscuit fire it or whatever. It's yeah, yeah. a kind of like let's see what happens um, yeah, type of they thing. Didn't work out as I expected, and I think that's part of the lesson. Sometimes. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Expecting to be the answer isn't the answer. Um, yeah. So yeah, possibly it does work out, just not as I expected. Or yeah. Expected so with these with these various processes, and you will, I want to just pick up on the the Jungian kind of archetypes because that's something that um, I used to be. I I was a, I became aware of it funnily on my degree, and I I I was fascinated with that idea, but I didn't really know where it would fit within my kind of practice at the time so it's something that i i parked um yeah. in the some somewhere else in my mind but um i was just wondering you know so there's lots of animals in young in, in young in archetypes and and symbols i just and your work is um is full of this full of kind of references to, to different animals and and creatures and i just wondered where you drew your myths from were there any sort of particular traditions of of mythology that you're particularly interested in well the, the alchemical tradition is is the one I've, I've been focusing on most recently but um i have read around fairy tales around greek mythology yeah i started to look at just started to dip into egyptian mythology and symbolism too which was you see a lot in alchemy as well um and I guess the reason you see it a lot is, is because all of these things do just overlap on each other again because of these shared archetypes mm. again. So you see um, the same symbols and motifs coming up across different traditions, across different myths. Um, creation myths have so many similarities and um, religions and stories, the idea of the dying and resurrecting God figure. There's, there's just... It's just all this repetition that keeps coming up from these archetypes, which is is really interesting when you kind of see them all in parallel with each other. And again, that's why we, when we when we read these stories or hear them again, um, we connect on a deep level. You know, they're not just for for children. There's not just that there are lessons in them for us, but it's it's almost like a a, a remembering. Um, Young said that myths and fairy tales, they they give expression to our unconscious processes. So when we're retelling them, these processes become alive again and they're they're recollected. And we're kind of re-establishing this connection between the conscious and unconscious. So I think I think that's why we're so drawn to them and to the symbols and motifs that are in them all. Yeah. Um yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just always, I'm just always drawn to those, um, to the animals, to those, to those kind of uh, that imagery that you kind of tap into um, mm, as like well, the, like, like the serpent. Yeah, 
would be so I've used used that a lot and I guess the kind of things that you might identify with that are and that you hear in different I mean the serpent's a great one because it's it's got such a negative and positive connotation I think these days we think more about the negative you know in the the creation myth that you know it's the serpent that causes the trouble um you know it's it's associated with a lot of sort of primal fear but then it's also it's Jung often talked about it as being the uh kind of bridge to the unconscious it's because of how it is it's it's we kind of relate it to this deep primitive um aspect of ourselves which we also relate to the unconscious it's almost like a I think he talked about it almost like feeling intestinal and, you know, something from deep within the gut or, or the spinal cord and this. So, yeah, it's kind of got this very, for me, it's, it links particularly with the idea of instinct and intuition. Um, it's also got this idea of rebirth about it. It sheds its skin. Yeah, um, yeah. It, uh, you see it in the... Um, Ouroboros kind of shape of it, it eating its tail and it kind of going again and living again creating and dying and and the rebirthing so there's you know just in that one symbol there's so much more than I've said <laughs> but um they're they're amazing that these creatures or symbols can can hold so much within them as a great word that uh Jung often uses he talks about the numinous which are it's a, a term used for either uh, symbols, it could be these creatures, it could be people, situations, but anything that has a deep emotional resonance with us uh, when we encounter, encounter it. And again, it's that, I think, subliminal connection to the unconscious where we're aware of something, we're remembering something. So, yeah, they're, they're weighty. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and, and I suppose it's, it's not easy to just use this imagery kind of willy-nilly. I think I've seen other work and other artists work where um, where it, it kind of feels like a facade or or mm. or fake. Just you know, just just by you know tapping into um, archetypes and mythologies, it, it doesn't feel kind of genuine. But your yeah. work has a it, it 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 feels like the real thing. I mean, I I kind of I, I don't I don't I could imagine these objects as as actual archaeological objects from um, from a different kind of place and and world, I suppose. And that's um, and seeing your sort of your the the practice as a whole, it all the recent work anyway seems to be it seems kind of interchangeable. Okay. And that's something that you were saying when we were installing the work that you decided to bring this work rather than that work. But it kind of, you could get any of your work and, and put it together and, and curate an exhibition out of it because it all feels like it's coming from a very uh, specific world, I suppose. And I'm going to put world in kind of inverted commas because mm -hmm. um, yeah. it's possibly a kind of uh, fictional parallel kind of world um, that's being conjured up here. But it's uh, yeah, it's something. This kind of world building is something I'm I'm uh, really interested in in an artist kind of practice. And I just wondered if you'd be able to expand upon what this, what your world that you're conjuring is is like. How different is it from our reality? Well, I think I think the world is is that place below the threshold 
that I mentioned earlier on, the threshold being that that place between the conscious and the unconscious. So I don't know that it is different from everyone else's world, but maybe it's, it's certainly not what we operate in in the main, in the day-to-day. Um, I think it's the place that's within us all, and I hope that's why that why there's familiarity in the work when when people encounter it. So it's yeah, this it's I guess it's the unconscious. It's it's the place below the threshold. It's the place of of symbols. I mean, symbols is the language of the unconscious, and they're they're mysterious. They're experienced by intuition and poetic understanding. It's it's the opposite to you know my as I said my background it was it was academic it was yeah. writing it was it was all headspace and it's only the last number of years that I've been learning how kind of <laughs> top heavy I am um, everything was coming out of my head and I've I've been trying to both reconnect with my body and think about that mind body connection but but also to go and to get to get out of this ego conscious state and into this intuition unconscious state um and symbols i've just just found so exciting because of how they communicate something different from words on paper in an academic sense you know these symbols they help us to i guess approximate something that lies beyond our understanding or our control so something like the divine which you know that's a word but what you know is it's so much bigger than that word and yet when we see some symbols they we i think we naturally generate these symbols to try and try and get something of a hold of that or to try and convey it in something other than a word on a bit of paper um no i'm i find that really interesting it's just made me think of um of early cult, early early civilizations, and you know, possibly some current indigenous cultures, mm. where the these archetypes and these connections to the subconscious, connections to this let's 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 call it for divine for you know why not are so much more um, not just visible but intrinsic to their like daily lives, rituals, and ideologies. Um, and it feels like there's something vastly lacking in in the Western world's kind of um, every day in relation to the to a connection to these kind of archetypes and this and this this place of other that some other cultures would have actually um, yeah embraced that fully I suppose definitely um, things like ritual we're very lacking in which is another another method of of getting to the unconscious uh, ritual and ceremony and, and symbols and that's not something that we have <laughs> a lot of at all anymore in our culture um, and it's really important um, even things like the ritual of, of teenagers passing into adulthood, adulthood and um, you know, going out into the wild and, and, and having these transitional moments um, you know, we don't have any of that the when you when you also mention the word ritual i also um i think of the rituals that artists do okay possibly on a daily basis when they're in the studio um 
Uh, would you would you be um, happy to share any of of those things that you do to kind of I suppose get you into the the non head place that you want to be in? Um, I don't know. I have a studio ritual actually. Um, I try and build rituals into my morning, into my start of my day. Okay. You know, um, my morning practice. I light a candle. I burn burn some incense in a little chalice thing. I do some yoga or meditation and just try and again you know I still am very much in my head so to try and quieten that I will you know settle in to try and settle into the moment and do these things I've got I've got kind of some objects that I have to hand and I will often handle those like a a rock I got from a special time in Portugal that signifies things to me and when I hold that I can kind of hold on to what it represents to me so I have things like that. Objects are objects are really important to me. So yeah, there, there are a number of things that I have kind of lined up by my uh, yoga mat and candle, and kind of will will handle which one feels appropriate that day. But um, yeah, the studio not so much. So it's I don't think I do have such a, a a transitioning. It's I mean walking into there, it's it's a very different space to my my home, and so I think just the stepping in is sure is transition enough. But I've incorporated, I've started to incorporate ritual into my work, which it, that was never, never part of it before at all. Process wasn't, that kind of process wasn't, I don't think I valued it at all. Whereas now there are, there are pieces of work that have been made that specifically incorporate ritual. I was going to ask about your, about your studio as well, about uh, the location of your studio. And I'm, I'm imagining that you, whereabouts are you based is it, is it quite rural where you're based it is it's a, it's a really beautiful location we're i'm in west dorset um on the jurassic coast so the studio is um based on hogchester farm which is a 75 acre conservation site so i'm able to run residencies here as well so my studio is part of the time shared with artists who come and work here which is is really special it's um although i love working by myself um and that's really necessary for me those kind of short periods of time where other artists come in and give me something very different and i mm. always learn from the people who i i end up sharing with always something new it, it it never ceases to amaze me how differently artists work and how they respond to this place which is when they're doing a residency here they're, they're um, responding to the land and the area um, and that's always so varied, um, and I've learned many things from them. So the studio, it gives me that. Um, and then in terms of the location, the land is important, but for me in particular, the sea, which I mentioned before, has been incredibly important. Um, I never expected that. I never expected when I moved here four years ago to form such a relationship with the sea both personally it you know it's it's grounded me it's it's given me a lot through some difficult times but also how it's it's been important to the work as well and I guess it's not surprising because the sea again is an archetype it's the archetype of the unconscious mm -hmm. this this vast unknown powerful you know you can be wiped out by it um and then it can be Calm and still and generous. Um, so it's it's a, it's a very special place for me. And um, 
as I mentioned, I've gone there um, in a ritualistic way. Standing, standing on the shoreline in particular feels like a very it's another threshold place. This idea, this this place between land and sea, for me, I think coincides between consciousness and unconsciousness. So I quite often go there at night when I'm feeling quite troubled and I'm bringing this anxious, conscious energy to the sea, I think, in a, in a hope that I'm trying to connect with my unconscious and kind of let that come into the space more, which it, it always does. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it never, never lets me down in that way. For more info on Chantal's work, please visit www.chantalpowell.com. Playing us out is Melanie Pegg with The Gloaming Mound. Do check her music out at melaniepegg.bandcamp.com. Why is that?